Good morning. My name is Jacob Rodriguez. I'm one of the pastors here at Church of the Resurrection. And uh, if this is your first time here, uh, uh, welcome especially. Uh, we are starting a new series. Um, and we're going to get into that in just a few minutes, but a few seconds. But let's, let's start by, first of all, praying and, and, and getting our hearts in the right place to hear from our God. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Show us who you are, seated on the throne of heaven. Show us who we are, sojourning here on earth as frail bodies. And show us our future hope in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today is the first Sunday of Lent, uh, this uh, season of 46 days before Easter Sunday. And we're beginning a new series that we're calling Death and the Eternal Weight of Glory. In this series, we'll be reflecting on what it means to be mortal human beings. We are embodied creatures made in God's image, yet still subject to decay. And one day, the truth is, we will all die. As we were reminded in our past Ash Wednesday service on Wednesday, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. For the past two years, our world has been racked by an awful pandemic. In recent days, war has erupted in Europe. Everywhere we look, we see the evidence that one day we will all die. As St. Augustine said, man everywhere bears the marks of his own mortality. Now, now some of you might ask, Pastor Jacob, aren't you being a bit gloomy this morning? I mean, it's raining, but it's still the morning. Did you perhaps give up coffee for Lent? Or are you just a bit grumpy that the Major League Baseball season is likely to be canceled because players can't get enough money? Now, to the chronic optimists in the room like myself, or to those who are normally the cheery type, this somber tone might be a bit jarring. But one of the amazing things about our Bible is that there is room for every emotion. And one of the amazing things about the Christian faith and the church calendar is that there is a season, a time for every emotion. There is even a space and a season for lament. The season of Lent, these 46 days leading up to Easter Sunday. And so as a church, we will have a posture of lament as we move towards the joy of Easter Sunday. In our current series, we will learn how we, as disciples of King Jesus, must embrace our mortality by numbering our days and carrying our cross in the hope of the resurrection. Our first stop in this journey is in the book of Job. So turn in your Bibles to the book of Job if you're um, already there. Uh, it's great. Just before the uh, book of Psalms in the Old Testament, about this far into the Bible. So here we are in the book of Job, and right at the very beginning of this Old Testament book, we are introduced to the man named Job. He lives in this mysterious land of Uz, a territory vaguely described as in the east. And we're not given any details about the time in which he lived, but chances are he was a contemporary of Abraham, living east of Canaan, and to, uh, to whom the Lord revealed himself. Somehow the Lord had revealed himself to Job. What we do know is that Job was blameless and upright. He was one who feared God and turned away from evil. It says that in verse 1. 
Because he feared the Lord, Job was filled with godly wisdom. Remember that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs tells us. And so Job experienced the prosperity that typically comes when one lives wisely. Job had seven sons, three daughters, many servants, and lots and lots of material wealth. He was a walking example of the general principle of biblical wisdom that we see in the book of Proverbs. If you fear the Lord, if you walk in the ways of wisdom, if you live a righteous life, you will prosper. It's a general principle. Um, it's important to remember that it is a general principle, and it has many exceptions that we'll see, even in the, especially in the book of Job. Interestingly, in verse 5, Job also appears to be some kind of priest. He's offering sacrifices, and he's interceding for the sins of his children. So far, so good. Job's life seems to confirm that general principle of righteousness, wisdom, leading to blessing and prosperity. In verse 6 through 12, though, we have a shift in scenes. We get the view from heaven. We realize that there is much more happening than what we can see in the land of Uz. The reader is ushered into the heavenly throne room where the Lord is holding counsel with mysterious angelic beings known, known as the sons of God. One of these angelic beings is known as the Satan. In the Hebrew, it's, it, you see the, the article there. It's, he's called the Satan. And his name simply means the adversary, a generic word for an adversary. Biblical scholars disagree as to whether this is Satan, capital S, the serpent who deceived Eve and who is depicted as a dragon in John's Revelation, or whether this is just another angelic being whom God allows to test whether Job's fear of the Lord is genuine. The story works either way, since the main characters are Job and the Lord. But, but if this is Satan, as we know him throughout the rest of Scripture, it should not surprise us that we find him asking the Lord for permission. Whatever power Satan has, it is only allowed by God for a limited time. And Satan does not ultimately hold the power of life and death. Only God does. At any rate, the Satan comes to the Lord, and the Lord questions him. It appears that Satan has been busy roaming the earth, probably testing whether people's commitment to the Lord is genuine. And the Lord challenges the Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth? A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil, the Lord says. So Satan throws this challenge right back to the Lord and makes the claim that the only reason that Job fears the Lord is because of the prosperity that he gains from it. Satan says in verses 10 and 11, Have you not put a hedge around Job and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord accepts the Satan's challenge, but he gives the one condition that he must not lay a hand on Job's own body. Shift scenes into the next few verses. We get back to earth, and Job loses everything. All of his property, all of his children, everything is gone. Everyone that he loved except for his wife is gone. But Job refuses to curse God. In verse 20, it says he worships the Lord. 
from the bottoms of his from the bottom of his distress from the pit of his suffering he worships the lord he still feels fears the lord and he still turns away from evil so the Satan goes back to the Lord and he ups the ante in verses 2 to 5 of chapter 2. He says, skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand and touch his flesh and bone and he will curse you to your face. The Lord allows this Satan to afflict Job's body. Suffering touches Job's own flesh and skin, reminding him of his creaturely limitations and of his own mortality. But still Job will not curse God. At this point in the narrative, we have the same tension that has tugged at every human heart for millennia. Why would God, if there is a God, why would he allow a righteous person to suffer? And Job's response in these first two chapters, it does not answer this question, but it does demonstrate for us the right disposition of the heart in response to the worst of suffering. In Job, we see the heart of wisdom in the face of suffering. The heart of wisdom in the face of suffering. And this heart of wisdom has two pieces to it. Fear the Lord and embrace your own mortality. Fear the Lord, and embrace your own mortality. Let's look at the first of those. Fear the Lord. We are told throughout this story that Job feared the Lord and turned away from evil. He didn't fear God for no reason. It was the attitude of his heart. It was his, his way of living before the mighty God. Towards the end of Job's long poetic speeches in chapter 28, Job declares, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? Simply, it is to recognize that God is big and we are small. It is to acknowledge God's place in the universe and to see our own place in relation to God. God is all-powerful. We are fragile. God is all-knowing. We know so little of this huge universe. God is not bound by space and time, we are bound by the limits of our own skin and our schedules. God is immortal. We will all day, one, one day, die. God is big. We are small. Now, when you encounter something or someone who is much bigger than you, the proper response is to tremble with fear. My little daughter, Lexi, absolutely loves little animals, the furry ones. Bunnies, kittens, puppies, you name it. But I'll never forget the first time she encountered a big dog twice her size. Furry, playful, exuberant, gigantic Huckleberry, beloved dog of Lou Bailey and Bill Mart. My little daughter trembled with fear at the sight of a dog twice her size. And when we consider the nature of God, however, this fear is not a crippling fear. For God is not only fierce and almighty, he is also good. To this day, Lexi talks about Huckleberry with fondness because she soon discovered that Huckleberry is a good dog. Or to use an analogy from one of my favorite books, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, in the two towers, Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas are searching for their hobbit friends, Pippin and Merry, in the Fangorn Forest. They know that they're on the stomping grounds of the evil wizard Sauron, and they have mourned the death of their dear friend, the good wizard Gandalf, 
But suddenly, in this forest, they encounter an old man in the forest who throws off his gray cloak and shows them that he is the powerful white wizard. Thinking that this is Saruman, they grab their weapons, but to no avail. The wizard immediately overpowers them. But then in their hearts, they realize, they recognize the unmistakable face of their friend, Gandalf, risen from the dead. Sorry for the spoiler if you haven't read it yet. Listen to what Tolkien writes. They all gazed at him. His hair was white as snow in the sunshine, and gleaming white was his robe. The eyes under his deep brows were bright, piercing as the rays of the sun. Power was in his hand. Between wonder, joy, and fear, they stood and found no words to say. The fear of the Lord, when properly grasped, mixes with deep wonder and joy when we realize that this great God is for us and not against us. Look at the words that flow from Job's heart as he worships the Lord in the midst of his suffering and refuses to curse God. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or in chapter 2, towards the end, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? Job has accepted the reality that God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases, always acting according to his infinite wisdom that is beyond our human comprehension. So the second part, when we realize that, that, that God is wholly other, beyond our comprehension, big, we realize how small we are. We need to embrace our mortality. Secondly, when we see God for who he is, this is what it shows us about ourselves. And oftentimes we think of these limits as mere hurdles to overcome. But God does not call us to overcome our human limitations. Rather, he calls us humbly to embrace them. Hear the words of Job embracing his limits his mortal limits and his sorrow. In verse 21, again of chapter 1. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, our Western culture does not like the idea of fearing a God in heaven or of embracing any kind of limits on us humans. Rather than fear the Lord and embrace your mortality, our culture says, fear no one and defy every limit. Basketball Hall of Famer Kevin Garnett, after chasing an NBA championship for 16 years, finally won the 2011 NBA championship with the Boston Celtics. When he was interviewed after the deciding game, he famously said, Man, I'm so hyped. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. It's an amazing video. Also, look up, look up, the, look up the Key and Peele kind of riff on that afterwards. It's a hilarious video. Uh, kind of like deconstruct that out of certain. It's hilarious. Someone kind of, kind of uh, uh, in a cartoon fashion, uh, exemplifying how when we feel that everything is possible, we realize how absurd that is. From Walt Disney all the way to our college commencement speeches, we are told that you can be whatever you want to be. You have no limits. But I'm sorry, Mr. Garnett. The reality is exactly the opposite. Not everything is possible for us humans. We are indeed bound by creaturely limits, and these limits coalesce around the simple fact that our bodies are frail, 
And one day, we will all die. Theologian Todd Billings, whose book we are reading as a church during Lent, um, who himself has a terminal condition, he reminds us that embracing our mortality, it actually frees us to truly live. How so? Because it shows us that life is more than just self-preservation. Billings says, rather than being a pathway to morbid despair, embracing the daily reminders of our mortal limits can free us to experience sorrow and joy as earthly pilgrims, strangers and foreigners looking forward to a homeland that will be the very home of God. So we see in Job's life, in his response to suffering, the heart of wisdom in the face of suffering. Remember that the Lord intertwines with fearing the Lord, uh, sorry, that when we fear the Lord, it's intertwined with wonder and joy when we realize that God is for us and not against us. But at this point in the narrative in Job chapter 2, Job probably does not feel that God is for him. He expresses the honest, raw emotion that each of us feels when it seems that God is not for us. If we're honest with ourselves, we have all felt that way at one time or another. We may have gone through entire seasons where that is just the feeling of our hearts that we feel in our bodies as we walk through life. But Job's own life, even here in the first two chapters, gives us glimpses of a hope that never dies. Remember that Job was a priest. Remember that Job was a righteous man whose sufferings were no punishment for anything that he had done that was wrong. Remember that Job's own skin bore the marks of his own mortality. But there would come another man, another priest, a perfect high priest, completely righteous, sinless, He would suffer the full weight of death on all of our behalf. As the tabernacle of Moses in the Old Testament was covered with the skins of an animal, so the glory of God would be veiled in the flesh of this man, Jesus Christ. He would be, he is God in the flesh. With human skin pierced by thorns and a Roman spear, he would give his own life away that we mortals might live forever. Job reminds us the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. The ultimate gift was God himself. In Christ, giving up himself, taking away his own life to give us life through his death. And in the cross of Christ, we see the Lord giving and the Lord taking away. And in this death, we see the seeds of imperishable, resurrected life. Fear the Lord Embrace your own mortality and remember that God is for you and not against you because he has taken all of your sorrows in his own human skin. Cling to Christ in your daily experiences of death. When faced with suffering, what does it look like in real life to fear the Lord and embrace our mortality and cling to Christ? Perhaps you face chronic illness Perhaps you are facing the sorrow of childlessness. Perhaps you are facing the death of a dream, whether education or the elusive dream of a job or the desire to be married. 
Or perhaps you are grieving the death of a loved one taken by the awful pandemic. Maybe even you yourself are facing death through terminal illness. Or if not you, someone that you love dearly. And every one of us is grieving the suffering we see in Ukraine due to the horrors of war. In most, if not all, of these circumstances, we will not find an easy answer to the question, why is God allowing us to go through this? This side of heaven, the answers will remain largely out of our reach. But like Joe, we must run to God who is bigger than us and acknowledge that his wisdom is beyond our own and we must fall before him and worship And when we remember that we are dust, we come to realize that literally every breath we have is a gift from God, the giver of life. Each day given by him, each moment an opportunity to remember that we are in God's hands and he is moving us toward the perfection to which he has called us. Yes, through death, but with glorious life on the other side. United to Christ, who took on our mortality and paved the way to eternal life, we find our hope even in the face of death. And in this season of Lent, if you are facing suffering, pray these truths until they sink deep into your heart. Even if you don't feel them, say them out loud, even with tears filling your eyes. Lord, teach me to live that I may dread the grave as little as my bed. Teach me to die so that I may rise glorious at the judgment day. Let me close now with an example of a Christian who, like Job, discovered the posture of lament and through lament found hope. Alfred Lord Tennyson, the great poet of the 19th century in Victorian England, he he lost his closest friend to a premature death and he grieved dearly the loss of this beloved friend. As he grieved, he penned these words that exemplify the fear of the Lord and the tenacious pursuit of hope in Christ. This poem is a prayer to Christ. Strong Son of God, immortal love, whom we that have not seen thy face by faith and faith alone embrace, believing where we cannot prove, thine are these orbs of light and shade, Thou madest life in man and brute. Thou madest death, and lo, thy foot is on the skull which thou hast made. Thou wilt not leave us in the dust. In the dust thou madest man, he knows not why. He thinks he was not made to die, and thou hast made him. Thou art just. We have but faith we cannot know, for knowledge is of things we see. And yet we trust it comes from thee. A beam in darkness, let it grow. But vaster, we are fools and slight. We mock thee when we do not fear. But help thy foolish ones to bear. Help thy vain worlds to bear thy light. Forgive my grief for one remove. Thy creature whom I found so fair. Tennyson here is speaking of his friend who has just died. I trust he lives in thee, and there I find him worthier to be loved. Forgive these wild and wandering cries, confusions of a wasted youth. Forgive them where they fail in truth, and in thy wisdom make me wise. Brothers and sisters, in the wild and wandering cries of our hearts like Job, let us go to God in our lament, 
even if we are perplexed by the suffering that we are experiencing and cannot explain away, and let us remember the greatness of God and our own frailty, and in our frailty let us cling to Christ by faith. Only in this will we find the wisdom we need to persevere through this mortal life in our journey to Easter Sunday. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.